It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Sandy Beatley and I were enjoying our visit, only to be surprised when we realized three hours had passed since we had started the interview. Don't worry, I was able to trim it down some, but decided to split her story into two episodes. It's a good thing Sandy is retired because she doesn't have time for work anymore. Sandy, thanks so much for joining me on A Quilter's Life. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to it. Let's start with where were you born and raised? Okay, I was born in Rushville, Indiana, which is the intersection of three Indiana and U.S. highways. It's Indiana 44, U.S. 52, and Indiana 3. They all come together in Rushville, which is the county seat for Rush County, and it's about 40 miles from southeast of Indianapolis. It's primarily rural, not much industry there. There was some furniture manufacturing when I was growing up there, and I had my grandmother and my great aunt worked in a little glove factory that was at the end of their street, and they actually made women's cotton gloves, you know, the little white ones and stuff that people used to wear to church or anytime they were out. So most of the people around us were on farms. My grandfather had a farm. And when I was first born, my parents were living on the farm. And that was great with my mom. But my dad had grown up in town. And it's kind of like Green Acres, you know, it wasn't the life for him. So we ended up moving back into town of Rushville, which is maybe 10,000 or so. Then they built a house in the country when I was about three and a half. And so I grew up surrounded by cornfields and farms on all sides. So even though we weren't farming at that point, or no one was farming in my family. We were still in that community, and it's just different than some of the other places I have lived during my life. (laughs) Now, where they built, was that anywhere near your grandparents' farm? It was about two miles towards town. (laughs) So (laughs) we were about two miles out of the city limits and about two to three miles from my grandfather's farm. And his brother had a farm next to his. So, you know, it was sort of a family affair that my mom grew up in anyway. Yeah. So, But things change. (laughs) (laughs) They sure do. (laughs) Well, being a couple miles out of town, did you ride the bus to school? I did. And the interesting thing was I was like on the northeast side of Rushville, but the township school that I went to was on the southwest side of Rushville. 
So by the time we rode the bus and got everybody picked up, it was about a 17-mile ride versus six (laughs) 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 to get from point A to point B as the crow would fly. So there was lots of time to do all of the hand clap games and learn all of the latest songs out of the little hit parade magazine that I would get like once a month at the drugstore. And (laughs) so we put the time to good use. It never really seemed like it was that long, but it was always really exciting when uh, the bus driver would decide to run the route backwards. And then we were like one of the first ones off (laughs) instead of being the last. Anyway, yeah, there were some good times on the bus. Oh, it sounds like you had a wonderful bus driver, too. We did. Had the same one the whole time from first grade through getting out of high school. Although by then, I was either riding with my brother or then I got to drive some myself. So, But yeah, it was the same bus driver. So if cars were not available, if the front light was on, he knew that he needed to stop. Oh, that's that's a neat way. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Wow. So do you have a special childhood memory growing up? Yeah, there's one in particular because nobody has ever let me forget it. (laughs) I remember doing it because I was four and it was shortly after mom and dad had built the house kind of in the middle of the cornfields. And there was a plethora of granddaddy long legs or harvestmen spiders or whatever you want to call them. Anyway, they couldn't find me. They'd been looking and they, I don't know, I don't think I was really hiding. I was kind of out the back door and kind of tucked in between the steps and the side of the house, catching all of these granddaddy long legs and making piles of legs. (laughs) And piles of bodies. So I just decided, since I ended up becoming a librarian, that I was into categorizing early. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little gruesome when I think about it now. It's like, ooh, they were little live bodies, just kind of like, we're not going anywhere anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just picturing this little pile of legs. To make a pile, you had to have quite a few spiders. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think I probably cut down the population a bit. Oh, I'm sure that was appreciated. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But growing up more in the country, there was Flat Rock River was just across the road and maybe a half a mile on the other side. So there were covered bridges close to where I grew up. So a friend from down the road that I met when we first moved there, her dad brought him up on a pony so that they could meet the new neighbors. I guess we have been lifelong friends since we met at the ripe old age of four (laughs) and went all through school together and everything. And she still lives in my hometown. But we would get on our bikes and we would pack our little lunches and we would be gone all day and we would ride up to the covered bridge and play around the river. It was great. 
and they had horses. So later on, then we were riding the horses down to the river and around. But that was kind of my lifelong dream was to have my own horse. But that didn't happen even when I came up with a quarter when I was younger and gave it to my dad and said, now I can get a quarter horse. But that didn't never materialized. Uh-huh. <laughs> can you remember the look on your dad's face when he answered? Oh, you? yes. Give it was, you know, very, very mirthful. You know, <laughs> it was just like, oh, he was trying to be serious, you know, and explained to me that a quarter horse was not the cost of it. But that was the breed of it. And <laughs> so, yeah, it was just another one of my misconceptions along the way. Things are so confusing with quarter horse, the quarter. And I had the mm-hmm. hardest time with a quarter after and a quarter tail because I was sure that should be 25 because a quarter was 25 cents. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's right. Well, don't have all of those inside understandings of it's just a fourth of whatever. (laughs) (laughs) After high school, did you go right into the workforce or did you go on to other schooling? I went on to other schooling. I went to Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana, and started out thinking that I wanted to go into microbiology because I kind of had my heart set on going into research. And coming from a small high school, there were 117 in my graduating class, I think. And kind of like being the big fish in a small pond. And then you end up being a little fish in a big pond in college. And, you know, there were kids there (laughs) who were going into pre-med. And I just all of a sudden felt like, I don't know anything. Anyway, I did stay with it for a year, my freshman year. And then I got to thinking, you know, is this really what I want to do? So I went and met with my college counselor, which was interesting because she wanted to know if I thought about getting married or having children. And at 18, that was just sort of somewhere out there. I guess I figured I would, kind of one of those things. And so she informed me that if I really wanted to go into research and decided to take any time off, that it would be very difficult to get back into the field because this is like early 70s. Everything was moving so fast as far as scientific discoveries and that sort of thing that I got to thinking, well, maybe this isn't the best option. And my roommate, who we are still close, close friends, because she's a quilter too, was in elementary education. And it didn't seem like she was working nearly as hard as I was trying to read these biology texts and taken more advanced math and everything. So I changed my major. I never really thought about being a teacher, but I decided that, well, that was a good option. It was a good job, you know? So that's where I ended up and started out in elementary education. 
I taught nine years in Indiana, grades three, four, and five. And then I taught fifth grade in Xenia, Ohio for a year. We came to South Carolina and I taught fifth grade for a year. And then I went into the media center and then it was like, oh my gosh, you know, I have found heaven and got a second master's degree in library science and did that then for about 20 years. And then I went to the middle school for my last 13 years. And I think that would have been truly nirvana if I had had middle school and media science or the library intermingled from the beginning. It couldn't have been better. So when I did retire after 40 years, it was definitely on a high note. So it was kind of a wacky way around getting there, but it just turned out absolutely perfect. How wonderful to be able to end on that high note. Each day was going to be a new adventure. And that's the thing that I really liked about going from the classroom into the media center is then I got to work with everybody. And I could really spend as much time as I wanted to on literature and getting kids hooked on reading and always trying to stay ahead of kind of the newest trends, you know, whether it was Twilight and the vampires or Harry Potter or something along those lines, you know, that I could get even the most reluctant kids, I could find something that would finally pique their interest enough that then they would come back on their own and get something. There was one eighth grade boy, the teachers had said they haven't read a library book the whole time they've been here. And I talked to him just a little bit and he was talking about, well, you know, he was real interested in World War II, but he just didn't really want to read just nonfiction, factual type books. So I found the book on the USS Indianapolis for him to read, which happened to be, you know, which I told him, you know, I'm from Indiana. So, you know, I knew about this, but not during the World War II period. I wasn't that old (laughs) anyway. And how it was kind of on a secret mission and nobody knew where they were and they got sunk and then the sharks came. And that's all I had to tell him. From then on, he was the flying and sinker. He really became an avid reader. (laughs) So those are the really fun things to know. It is exciting to watch those lights go on. Absolutely. I'm looking down at my question and it said, and maybe why you chose this career. And you said you weren't looking for that. I really wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) But it turned out good. And I did like it. I thought over the years, as things have changed, like from when I was getting ready to go to college versus our son getting ready to go to college in the mid-90s, of all the opportunities that have come up for young girls and women that really weren't there in the end of the 60s and the early 70s. So, you know, it's like, maybe I would have been a veterinarian. I love animals and that's all the biology and the science and everything. So, you know, but it worked out great the way it was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
So where are you now? And was it your job that took you there? It was my husband's. This is my second marriage. And we had dated through college. Then I met somebody else and ended up marrying somebody different. And we got back together 10 years later. And he was still single and living in Ohio or was from Ohio, Dayton area. And so we got back together and got married six months later. And we've now been together 41 years. And his job in Dayton in like 1982, when construction in Ohio just kind of went nowhere. And he was an architectural designer and doing lots of preliminary work and designs for apartment buildings and houses and all those types of construction, small offices. And when construction just sort of dried up, the company that he was working for just closed. So a person here in Greenville, South Carolina, had been trying to get a franchise of the company that he was working for using foam core panels in construction. When the company went bankrupt, he just bought it. And so they wanted to know if he wanted to have his original job back. And he said, absolutely. And I could not get a teaching job in Ohio after being told that, yes, there would be no problem in placing me. And uh, then they realized I had a master's degree from Indiana and they went, we can't afford you. Uh-huh. So it was kind of like, well, we may as well head south because nothing's going to happen here. <laughs> so that's why I was just kind of in as a long-term sub for a fifth grade teacher in Ohio. That was my year's experience that I got, but it was not technically under contract. Yeah. So we came here and I got hired right away and taught one year and... They had media specialists in the elementary school, which Indiana and Ohio did not. So I jumped on that one. And that's how I ended up becoming a media specialist. And it's just all been wonderful. You know, it's like the best thing that ever could have happened. And it's one of those, you know, we talk about God moments mm-hmm. or God's hand in things. It's like, well, you know, things didn't work out like I thought they would in Ohio teaching wise and such. So when we came down here, it's just like, wow, you know, everything just kind of Bruce's job fell into place. You know, I got a position immediately, which led into the library. And then to come to find out that he had been considered for a position in Chillicothe, working with the Veterans Administration, I think on like new plans for their facilities. And we've been here a year and all of a sudden his parents call and say, these people have been calling the number that he had put on his resume had the wrong prefix for Xenia. Because <laughs> Xenia had, you know, besides the area code, it had two prefixes and his grandparents had one, and where we were living on the south side of Xenia in a Victorian 
house that we were renovating had a different prefix and he used his grandparents. And so they never could call. So if they had called, we may have ended up in Chillicothe instead of South Carolina. And this was the best thing that ever could have happened. We ended up in the South and I found out in doing genealogy that my great-grandfather that moved to Indiana was actually, well, I knew the story, but I was able to do some more research that my great-grandfather came from Greensboro, North Carolina, and followed Indiana soldiers back to Rush County because they talked about how black and rich the dirt was Hmm. and that anything would grow. So anyway, and then I was invited to be in the Daughters of the Confederacy, which growing up in Indiana, I never thought there would be a chance of anything like that happening. But because of my great-grandfather and the fact that we're here now, I was invited, but I did not join. (laughs) 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 Anyway, you know, it's just interesting how you see that little things that could be considered a mistake maybe really weren't a mistake, that there was a bigger plan about it than what we knew or could know. Yeah. I met my husband over at Cedarville, right near Xenia. Yes, I know where Cedarville is. Okay. And he worked at Wicks Lumber in Xenia. Mm-hmm. And very similar in that his family owned a hardware wholesale company in Marietta, Ohio. So mm-hmm. he had the opportunity to come work at that company. But with Wicks Lumber, he was taking some testing to become a manager, and he had the highest score they had of anybody. But anytime we thought about staying with Wicks, we just did not have peace. The Lord gave us peace about moving to the family company, which sounded really stupid, because if there's a problem with the family company, it's family. You can't (laughs) just move. (laughs) So we did that, and a month after we got to Marietta, we called somebody that he had worked with, and they said, They found something had gone on in that store that he was working in. They came in and fired everybody in the store. And shortly after that, all of Wick's Lumbers closed. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, yes, I understand those God moments. Yeah. Well, when they called Bruce and said, can you come to Greenville for an interview? And Bruce went, sure, we can be there in about an hour. And they went, no, I don't think so. Because the fellow Buckachu was from the Dayton area also. And he was thinking automatically Greenville, Ohio. And it's like, uh, no, it's Greenville, South Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) So Bruce went, do you know anything about South Carolina? I said, well, they have seasons, which is nice. I don't think I could just live like in South Florida where it was the same all the time other than hurricanes. But I said, you know, there's changes of seasons. My brother was teaching at the University of Georgia, which is two hours away. So it's kind of like, gosh, you know, Josh will get to know his cousins. Otherwise, you know, it'd be kind of maybe once a year that we would all be together. So it was like, check, 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 check. You know, everything was just more advantages to coming than staying, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah. 
it's interesting. I love having those kinds of things happen. Let's other people know that there's somebody more in charge of us than just us making up our own minds. That's right. (laughs) Besides quilting, are there other crafts that you do or have done? Oh, I think I've probably done a little bit of everything. I started sewing when I was eight, I think, in 4-H and was in 4-H all through elementary, junior high and high school and really enjoyed the sewing part of it the best. I did cooking and some of the other things, but this is the one that really stuck with me. So my grandmother taught me how to embroider initially with these like little paint tubes. I don't even remember what they were called, but they were like in a little metal tube and you had to like scrunch it on the bottom a couple of times, almost like the paint pens now. Yeah, um, my mom had those, so I'm picturing them. Yeah. And so I would make designs on like little jelly glasses and <laughs> things like that. But then she did teach me to actually the different stitches for crocheting. And she was making tablecloths and aprons just on gingham. And you would take these long stitches, you know, kind of catty corner from each other and fill it in. And then you started weaving it together kind of like a spider web. I don't remember exactly how we do that, but I still have a couple of samples that she had made. So I was crocheting potholders and I made potholders with the little loops and the little metal frame. And and then I went on to more involved embroidery and cruel work with yarn. And then I got into cross-stitching and needlepoint. None of those things I do now because I've just sort of been completely engulfed, I guess, in quilting. I do have an embroidery machine that I may embellish some things with. And occasionally, like my college roommate that I mentioned, we met in 1968 and they were here about three weeks ago and she brought me eight aprons that she made and wants me to put names on them. (laughs) So. I do things like that, but I really enjoy the sewing and the quilting part the most. Yeah. And I've made pin cushions with antique lace and old vintage embroidery, like from pillowcases and sheet sets and all the little doilies or little vanity sets that people used to have that were embroidered and cut those up and use it with feed sacks or reproduction, you know, like the 30s prints. Then I do beading on them. So I've done probably a few dozen of those and have sold some and given a lot. And then I really started expanding my button collection. So now I'm doing things with buttons, you know, little pictures and covering things like my initials to hang in my room with buttons and stuff. So (laughs) it's sort of like, oh, if somebody's doing something, I at least have to try it for a little bit. I guess that's a bad thing because if you jump in too deep, then you have all these things that maybe you're not going to ever use again. But 
I just pass it on. That's the best way to do it. I put it on Facebook and it's like, I have all of these things. If anybody's interested, let me know. They'll be on the front porch. (laughs) (laughs) That gets someone else a chance to dabble in it to see if that's where they want to go. That's right. How about any hobbies like cooking? I really used to like to bake and cook and did mostly all cooking, especially, you know, when our son was still home. But since I've retired and there's just the two of us, I can make something. My husband really likes leftovers, which is nice because I don't know how to cook for two. So I can cook for four or more. And so, you know, we always have something either half of it goes in the freezer or we just have it a couple of days later. But until everything started getting so much more expensive this year, we probably ate out a lot more often than we should. (laughs) But I do like gardening and I love to read. And sometimes the reading and the quilting conflict with each other because I want to spend more time reading. And for whatever reason, I would rather read it than listen to it. I can listen to books on tape or that type of thing, but I'd like seeing the words. Yeah. So I don't know if it's maybe I'm more visual than auditory. I don't know. So I do listen to music a lot. In fact, somebody went, do you ever not have a radio on or CDs or something? And I went, no, (laughs) not unless I'm reading. Then it's usually off. I like all kinds of music. I was in band and chorus and all those things and played piano and French horn and organ and really like classical music. It's very diverse. I like it all, but really like classical music. I'd never liked country music until moving south. And then it's kind of like, you hear it a lot. It's kind of like, well, this is okay. You know, and they're more ballad related. They tend to tell stories, which since I was also a storyteller when I was in the media center, I guess that kind of goes hand in hand with that too. It's kind of one of those things that I'm never at a loss for something to do. Mm-hmm. And my husband quickly learned that he would ask me to ride along as he delivered blueprints to someone for a new house and say, I'm just dropping them off. It'll just be a minute or two. And I'd read through our car manual twice. I started always, always, always leaving at least two books in the car so that I would not be stranded <laughs> with nothing to do. And I like to garden. I like plants. I'm still adjusting. We moved from the country into town about 13 years ago. Town of Traveler's Rest, which is, you know, like six blocks wide. (laughs) It's not very big. But we have lots of shade with ancient oak trees. So most of what I'm used to growing is full sun. So. I'm still trial and erroring, sometimes successfully and sometimes not. And we're big animal lovers, so we always have dogs and cats right now. 
we have a great Pyrenees and one great kitty down from three dogs and three cats to just one of each just since spring, which was kind of sad and hard to deal with, but they were old. So they had good lives. But yeah, there's nothing else to do. You could always pick up a book. (laughs) (laughs) And I tend to read multiples at once. Really? So I do. I read a wide variety, kind of through all genres. I like reading recipes, even though I don't cook all the time. But I read fiction. I really like fantasy, science fiction, some mysteries. For a while, I was really into steampunk, but that was for about three years after I retired. And that genre was just kind of getting started in the middle school. So I followed through some adult versions and it's really steamy. (laughs) (laughs) It adds steamy to steampunk. But yeah, pretty much anything. People recommend things and I read those, but I had just saw the movie of Where the Crawdads Sing and had read the book about three years ago. And then I had to go back and kind of reread parts of it because it's like, is that what happened? I don't remember that. So (laughs) (laughs) I've gone back and I've read some books that are considered classic, like Rebecca by Daphne Du Maurier that somehow I never had read it. So I read that a couple of years ago and it's like, that was really a good book. Why did I never read this before then? You know, so just very diverse. I am the editor of our church newsletter. So I publish that every month. I'm in charge of our senior adult group at church. So every month I'm planning lunches and activities or outings and that sort of thing. So yeah, I stay busy. It's kind of like, when would I have had time to work? I heard that a lot while I was still working. And it's really true. You know, (laughs) it's just sort of like you can fill up all the rest of your time with other things that you really enjoy. Yeah. And not come home too tired to do any of it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think any of these hobbies show up in your quilting? Well, occasionally I did do a Darth Vader quilt. So that's kind of there in the science fiction realm. But I don't know. A lot of my quilting motifs end up being very organic as far as leaves and flowers and vines. And it's because I like them. It's not just necessarily because they're easier to do. I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it. Yeah. But when I do quilts, I only do free motion. I very rarely use rulers. I don't care for ruler work as much on the long arm. Sometimes you have to just because that's kind of what the quilt is telling you that it needs. But it's not 
my favorite way to do it. I would rather just kind of put things together and see how it all comes out <laughs> at the end. And so far, knock on wood, that any of my customers have liked what I've done. So they're not complaining about it. And they said, well, at least I know it's not off of a computer. Nothing is the same, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Did someone introduce you to quilting or did you just pick it up out of the books or? I guess from having always sewn, I guess the first quilt I actually made was while we were living in Xenia and I was not teaching. Our son had just started kindergarten. So I had half days anyway with nothing to do. And having been in school or teaching constantly since first grade, you know, (laughs) it's kind of like, what do I do now? (laughs) So I did. I made a quilt and basically it was a nine patch that I bordered out a couple of times for the blocks and put that together. Then when we moved down here and I started working again, that kind of all got put to the wayside. And that's when I was doing the cross stitching and all those other things that I could pick up and put down very easily. But my grandmother quilted. I have quilts that she has made. My great grandmother quilted. I have quilts that she made that still have cotton seeds in the batting. And while I was in Xenia, I did take a hand quilting class at the Green County Technical School, an evening class for like six or eight weeks. And I really, really like that. So the interest has been there. The time has not. And so when I retired, I started just making quilts and I just sort of stitched in the ditch or did like little wavy things down through the seams or between seams just on my domestic machine. And then after we moved into town, well, I guess it's been four years ago, we built a garage behind our house that only had had a carport. And my husband was just going to put a little kind of half story above where he could put his drafting table and all of his files with all of the houses he's designed and blueprint machine and all that kind of stuff upstairs. I'm thinking, oh, great. That means everything's moving out of the little den area that we have in the house. And I was going to be out of the corner of the spare bedroom. So I'm thinking this is really, really great. Because really at that point I had just a couple of sewing machines, just domestic. Although the first spring that I was retired, my friend Pam and I went to Atlanta to the big quilting and sewing expo. And we both ended up buying one of the Martelli cutting tables that are adjustable height and can tilt and do everything but cut it out itself. So I was good. You know, I had my cutting place. I had an ironing board and my sewing machine and a table. I was good. And he just kept going, oh, I don't think this is going to work. He said, I really think you need to be upstairs. And I went, 
I really don't want to be upstairs. You know, I've had two knee replacements and a hip replacement towards my last years of teaching. Anyway, he went, no, I think you need that space. And he said, in fact, I think I need to work that out and make it a little bit bigger. And I'm thinking, Bruce, I said, I've only got, you know, like these four things. I said, I don't need like a 20 by something room, you know, for that. He said, well, you know, we can put a TV up there and then we can put a little microwave up there. And I'm thinking he wants to get rid of me. But anyway, so in the design process, before we actually started construction, he just said, nope, this is the way it's going to be. Your sewing area is going to be upstairs out of the house. He said, that way you don't even have to worry about whether you put things away. I hadn't thought of that. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I can see some advantages to that. And I said, well... In your designing, the only way it's going to work is if I have a bathroom up here because I'm not going to be able to run down 17 steps across the backyard and up the steps to the house in time. So he did that, and it has definitely progressed from there. Then I ended up getting one of the little five-foot frame quilting machines Baby Lock had. A lady had traded it in it had had one quilt done on it so I got that at a great price then I had my sewing machines and my cutting table and an ironing board and a little quilting machine frame that has now expanded into I have a futon up here and a chair so people can come and sit down and be comfortable and we have added two extensions to my five foot frame so I now have about a 10-foot frame. I'm still using the 16-inch throat coronet, but I figured if I could do a king-size quilt or nearly a king-size quilt on the five-foot frame, this was going to make everything easier. (laughs) And it has. They initially come with just clamps. You kind of roll it and clamp it when you're moving your quilt around. But then we added the Little Betty system, I think, is what Handy Quilter calls it. It actually rolls, you know, so you have leaders and you can pin it on. And I feel like I'm in the big league now, but not really. <laughs> but at least it is hundreds times easier to maneuver things around than what it was when I started. And now I'm kind of like looking around and it's like, I have too much stuff up here now. And people keep donating fabric saying, oh, well, we're not going to sew anymore. So Sandy can use it. And I can't say no. And so I have more than my lifetime. I think that's called being a sable. And that's stash acquisition beyond life expectancy. (laughs) 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 And so when anything comes up, like when the pandemic came around, I was giving hundreds of yards of fabric to people that were wanting that for making masks. I was making masks. I was trying to supply anybody else that was wanting to make masks. There was an organization called Greenville Cares that was amassing fabric, and they were getting elastic donated from Coates and Clark or somewhere down here. One thing about being in the middle of the textile area, even though it's not as extensive as it was at one time 
it was a good way to kind of share the wealth. And if anybody gets in touch with me and says, you know, they're wanting to work on a project, but they don't have the funds to go buy fabric, I will give them plenty to get started with. So I figure if people shared it with me, I need to share it with others. So that's kind of my philosophy on that. Do you have a favorite quilt or quilt pattern? Anything with stars. They can be Ohio stars. They can be floating stars. They can be stars of any kind. But I love making quilts with stars. So I guess lots and lots of patterns out there. And the other thing is I tend to use mostly three patterns. There's such a plethora of sites, you know, between quiltedtwins.com and Donna Jordan at jordanfabrics.com. Oh, and then there's the email that comes like every week and it just gives you all of these free quilt patterns and I can't think of the name of it. It's like everyone loves quilts or something. I don't know. If I run across that, I'll send that to you. Okay. Because it's great. It's great. (laughs) And then I share those with everybody too. Oh, you were talking about baby quilts. Here's a whole thing on baby quilts. But I tend to just print them out and they have to be really, really unique for me to buy one because I can find generally something similar. And I figure since I will also buy fabric from some of those online places, especially during the pandemic when you couldn't go anywhere, that I'm just promoting their designs and that type thing. But when you asked, you know, how I got into quilting, I guess for technique, I probably learned more as far as being efficient and using my time the best by watching videos of Jenny Doan at Missouri Star Quilt Company and Donna Jordan at Jordan Fabrics because they are just the best. And I have since taken some online long-arming classes, which Susan Smith at... I did get to interview Susan. She's great. Oh, she is wonderful. I took her master class and I thought what I was doing was pretty good. But oh my gosh, I learned so much more through her. And then I've done a couple of Angela Walters classes. I guess like anything, when I was teaching, there were certain people that in the profession out there somewhere who would be considered the experts because they're farther away that I looked up to and same with authors and media people. But I also have those folks in my, (laughs) in, in my listing of people to watch or read about. And when you kind of click with somebody's style, it makes it real easy to follow them because it's almost like you get to know them like your kindred spirits. So That has been enjoyable, too. So really, I've only been quilting 
full time since about 2018. Before, all I was doing was just piecing. And I was making lots of tops and folding them up and putting them somewhere if it needed something other than what I could do on my domestic machine. Yeah. And I didn't get too fancy. I did take a class at one of the local fabric stores, private independent one, that showed you how to do free motion on your domestic machine. And I was able to write my name and I made a bunny rabbit and I made a few other things that sort of a motif, but I didn't like it. When I started thinking and this opportunity came up to get this cornet on the little five foot frame, you know, it's like, well, you know, it's a good deal, but what if I don't like it? You know, that's kind of a scary thing because I tried a couple at quilt shows. They let you play around with it a little bit. It was more comfortable to me than trying to do it on the domestic machine. And I am just beyond impressed with people who can do it that way. But I'm definitely one for a long arm. And then we went to a quilt show here in Greenville in March. And Bruce likes to go with me because he likes to look at all of the technical parts of quilting machines and the engineering and, you know, how is it programmed to do this, that, and the other. So I think it was really him that wanted to get this machine. (laughs) (laughs) And it's one of those that the first time I tried to follow a pantograph with the little laser light, it was like all over the place. I did a couple of pantographs. I mean, I got to where I could at least stay close to the line, but it was too repetitive. And it's like, that didn't really do anything for me. Although when I asked him to try it, he never wavered off of the line. It was absolutely amazing to me. I guess it's from all the drafting and everything and his eye-hand coordination maybe is better than mine. But I told him, I said, golly, Bruce, if you would only do these, I could just make quilts and then you could quilt them. But that never happened. So (laughs) I don't think it's going to change now, but it sounded like a really good plan. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like a great balance of being able to work on something together. Yeah. Now he is very supportive. If I'm working on a project, he will bring me lunch every day. And he'll stay out here and he's interested in what I'm doing or what the process is at that point. But anyway, I was having trouble getting perfectly round the quilted piece so that it would cut in the round accurately. And so he came up and did that. He got out all of his drafting stuff. You know, he was actually using the protractor and everything and figured out how he could get a marker down into the thing that usually holds only a piece of lead and (laughs) work it out for me. So he's been a lot of help and he's always helping to modify my quilting frame. Well, he added the extensions, which 
is a hack. You know, it's not really something that Baby Lock endorsed. So you can make this five foot frame much bigger and not spend four thousand dollars. It's like four thousand versus four hundred, mm-hmm. maybe five hundred for the two extensions, and make it all work. But he's figured out a way for me to handle my batting under there without buying something. You know, it's like, oh, well, we just need a piece of, you know, angle iron here and a piece of whatever there. (laughs) I'm like, all right, probably a little makeshift, but it works. And I can't complain because if I save money on that, then I have money for other things like fabric. Right. Yeah. Do you have a favorite tool? If anything, it's probably my walking foot. I find that I use it lots more than just to quilt something. I think just because it gives me even feet on both sides, it just seems to work better. So I leave it on a lot. Yeah. I've heard of others doing that too. Oh, okay. There is one other tool that I really, really like, and it's from OESD. It is basically like the purple fang, if you're familiar with that, Uh except this one is metal because I have broken lots of the purple things or made them go all the way through the corner that I'm trying to turn out. And this is a metal one that they have for some of their embroidery things but it has two different sizes of balls on the end and they are perfectly round so it's very difficult to actually poke it through anything and it works great if you're turning something out like a placemat and you want that edge to be actually even Mm -hmm. and not kind of tucked in and you can run it across that seam and it stays perfect. And so when you top stitch it or whatever you want to do, it's really just the seam is in the middle, but it's extended all the way out. So, yeah, that's probably my favorite tool. I've actually bought it for a couple of people and given it to them because it was that much better, I thought, than anything else I've used. And I've used everything, you know bamboo sticks and scissor points <laughs> a lot of things you probably shouldn't but <laughs> that is actually one that I haven't ended up with any problems with so that makes it really good it's fun to realize when you think of your tools of oh yeah if I didn't have that I would really miss it mm-hmm. thanks so much for visiting with Sandy and me We will continue her story on the next episode of A Quilter's Life. See you soon. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.